This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Nats Insider Podcast yet again. Dan Kolka with you as we get close to wrapping up the 2022 season. We got a good show for you here today. Be joined in a little bit by Mike Rizzo, the Nationals general manager, president of baseball operations. We'll get Rizzo's thoughts on this season. Obviously disappointing in the one loss column, but some stuff in there that he has liked, that his coaches have liked, and We'll discuss some of the positives, some of the things that Riz wants to see in terms of improvement towards 2023, and we'll get to his off-season strategy to try and bolster this roster as we look ahead to next year. Also be joined by Bob Carpenter, our TV play-by-play voice for now 17 seasons here in D.C. Good buddy of mine that I have really enjoyed working with since I joined the broadcast team in 2014, and uh, it's been a privilege filling in for him when he's taken some games off the last couple seasons. So we'll get to Bob as well and get his thoughts on uh, another year in the books and the way that the Nationals are looking as they try and get this reboot going and get back up the standings in the National League East. But first, let's hear from Riz. He's done this thing once before in terms of turning a team with 100 lost seasons into a winner. Number of years in contention, winning division titles, and obviously the 2019 World Series. And now it's time to try and get the Nats back to that place where they're in the mix come postseason time. Had a chance to sit down with Riz just the other day to talk about his thoughts on this season, on this reboot, and on where he sees things going as we work towards 2023. Here's that conversation with Mike Rizzo. Uh, Mike, good to see you as always, buddy. Um, we're sitting here, we got a few games left in the 2022 season. Obviously, not the type of season that you are used to around here mm-hmm. in terms of the overall record. So some disappointments there, but some positives to be found as well individually and, and in some certain areas. How do you, as an evaluator, assess this year in the big picture? Well, in the big picture, you know, we're we're uh, we're moving in the right direction. Uh, but in the uh, you know in the in the current state of affairs, you know, we're disappointed. We're unhappy with where we're at. Uh, you know, the the one loss record is is not where where we want it to be. Uh, but with that said, you know, we we do see you know some light at the end of the tunnel. We see you know we see the development of you know of eight or nine core players that'll be on our next championship caliber club. Uh, we've we've made great strides in in our minor league system and our player development system, uh, and you know the the future is extremely bright and uh, you know this reboot is is going as planned uh, and uh, I, I think that uh, you know with the with the big Juan Soto uh, trade to the San Diego Padres it's 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 made the uh, the transformation go a little bit quicker than expected. You're a competitive guy. I've gotten to know you pretty well over mm-hmm. the years. Losing does not uh, hit you really well. You don't you don't enjoy it. How has it been for you this year, the last couple of years, and just dealing with what is kind of a different flow of organizational trajectory for now to try and reboot it and get it back. Yeah, I mean, you know, different stages of it. You know, when uh, you know we won the World Series in 19, we came back in 20. 
uh, you know, we, we had we had in our minds, you know, going back to you know playoffs and, and having a good season. COVID hit us. The, you know, the the season was uh, uncertain, and uh, and you know we got off on a on a bad start. You know, a, a, a very uh, truncated season uh, didn't go well. Same thing with twenty uh, with twenty one. We started off with, with a roster that we liked. With we were going to compete. You know, the last year, the last season of Max Scherzer and uh, and Strauss and Corbin together. So we had high expectations there. Injuries derailed us. COVID derailed us. Uh, and uh, and that's when we decided to to uh, you know kind of uh, embark on this r reboot to uh, to get us another 10, 11 year run of, of excellence like we had in the past. So uh, from you know that trade deadline to right now, I think that things are going as as expected. Uh, I think that you know you see the uh, the you know the makings of a of, of a good young core group of guys. You know you've seen our minor league system uh, you know be uh, ranked uh, you know in the upper third of, of all of baseball, whatever that means to you. Uh, and uh, and uh, but I, I see I, I see a group of of players down in, in the minor leagues and instructional league uh, that I saw that we haven't had here in a long time, if ever. Uh, the the amount of of top light top flight athletic prospects, uh, uh, both on the position player side and on the pitching side, I think is, is uh, we're at a place that we haven't been before in our, in our organization. You mentioned that word athletic. Uh, that's something that we've heard a lot over the last couple months. And I remember I talked to you uh, the day of the draft, right after you guys took Elijah Green with your first round pick. And that was a word that you used about him. You've used it about others. What does that athleticism in terms of young talent, we've seen it with C.J. Abrams and mm -hmm. some others up here, what does that allow you to do going forward for the next handful of years? Well, I think it makes him a dynamic player. You know, uh, you know the, the, the C.J. Abrams of the world, uh, uh, in the past we've had the Trey Turners and the Harpers and the Rendones. They're two-way players. You know, they're offensive players, they're defensive players. They run the bases aggressively uh, and, uh, and they're, uh, they're, they're players that, uh, that put an emphasis on, on winning. And uh, and the more athleticism you have, I, I think the more uh, opportunity you have to be a dynamic player and to be a, a game-changing type of player. So that's always the, you know what we're shooting for uh, in in our trades, in our drafts, and when we're developing players. Uh, it's not to say that you know good solid baseball players are not important, which which they are, uh, almost equally important. But uh, when you have a, a dynamic of of tools and speed and athleticism, I think it it it, it it, higher, it, it brings the bar up to a point that, uh, that really excites a lot of people. Mike, the wins and losses have kind of been there or not, but the, I think anyone who's watched this team over the last handful of weeks is aware that the competitiveness of, of the roster has gotten mm -hmm. a lot better in every ball game, fighting to the end. What is the biggest factor in that in your eyes uh, over the last couple months? Yeah, I think that, uh, you, you know, I think the, the biggest, the, the biggest uh, uh, change that we've had over the last uh, couple of months since the trade deadline is we're playing much better defense. Uh, you know, we have, a, you know, we have uh, CJ at shortstop. He kind of solidified the middle of that infield, moving, moving Louis uh, Garcia to second base, a much more comfortable position, and Vargas being a, a good handy glove guy at, at third base, I, I think has really helped us uh, pick the ball 
follow-up, which improves your pitching and that type of thing. And uh, and uh, you know, with with that said, you know, this is not a try-hard league. You, it's you're, you're judged by your wins and losses. We certainly have not won nearly enough games to uh, to to say that uh, you know we're we're happy about the season at all. Uh, you know, we're we're disappointed in in our one-loss record, but we're excited about what we see in the future. And I, I think that uh, at this point in in our season and in our development as uh, as a franchise, I think is, is exciting for, for not only the, the people in the front office and in the clubhouse, but for the fan base also. Mike, for years now, you've built your rosters with starting pitching being a focus. I've heard you say a number of times that with starting pitching, everything is possible. Without mm -hmm. it, nothing is possible. This is kind of a different era in baseball to an extent in the big picture that starters aren't going as deep into ball games and we're seeing openers and things mm -hmm. like that. Do you still feel like starting pitching is going to be the backbone of your rosters going forward? And do you think that with a couple of these young guys that we've seen and are going to see, that you have the the pieces there to to put together the next really good Nats rotation. Well, I'll ask you. Go ask the Dodgers and the Astros and the Braves and the, and the Mets if, if starting pitching is important. If that makes you a winner or not. Uh, I think you've seen that uh, that uh, with 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 few exceptions that uh, you know starting pitching is is key to to winning not only in the 162 but especially in in a in a playoff atmosphere. Uh, and we've shown that in the past. Other teams have shown it in the past. And I, I still think it's it's paramount to being a, a championship caliber club uh, and and yes uh, the, you know I, I've always said that uh, starting pitching is, is the most vital part of, of your roster uh, I do believe that we have the makings of a, a really good young front of the ro rotation uh, uh, type of type of pitching prospects uh, on the big leagues in the big leagues now and, and in the minor leagues coming to the big leagues and I've always said that you know you, you develop three of your own buy two in the free agent market and win championships and uh, I think that uh, we're well on our way to to having the, the three or four homegrown uh, uh, starting pitchers that that can pitch eventually into the uh, into the front of the rotation, uh, and it's it's a recipe that we've employed before. Uh, we 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 did a, a really good job of it uh, in the in the past, and I think that uh, it's a tried and true formula that uh, that is is going to going to prove us prove us positive again. We got one look at Cade Cavalli up here, mm -hmm. and then unfortunately had a, a little minor shoulder thing. Mackenzie Gore is working his way back. We haven't seen him yet in mm -hmm. a Nationals uniform. We hope to before the year is up. We have seen a lot of Josiah Gray this year, and there have been some really positive starts. There have been some negatives as well. How do sure. you assess the big picture of Josiah's first full year in the majors? That's an important point. You know, it's his first full season of, of pitching uh, every fifth day in the big leagues. Uh, if we get him through that successfully healthy, uh, and uh, I, I think that that's it's a big plus for him. Uh, a year of big league experience, you, you can't buy anywhere, and uh, and he'll get that. Uh, he took the ball every five days. Uh, his velocity is good. His, his, you know, his, his strikeout rate is good, uh, and, he, and he has shown that uh, he's got several things to work on to be an uh, a, a everyday elite front of the rotation uh, starting pitcher in the big league. So uh, he's a very He's a very intelligent uh, pitcher, very intelligent person, uh, and uh, he, he gets it. He knows where he needs to improve. He knows what, uh, what it takes to, to pitch in the big leagues uh, on, a, uh, on an every day, every fifth day in a successful, successful manner. And uh, I think that uh, uh, with this experience under his belt, next year he's going to be better than he is this year. And, and in the very near future, he's going to be a guy that can pitch in the front of a rotation.
Mike, I want to ask you about one more guy that came over in that trade with Josiah last year, and that's K. Barrett Ruiz. I was talking to Anibal Sanchez recently, who said that he's seen a lot of growth from the young catcher over the course of this season. Sure. Have you seen that same growth from him? We, we have. We, we've seen it as a staff, uh, especially uh, uh, in a video room, where you know he's really putting time in to become a, a game caller, a, 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 a staff leader, uh, and uh, and really take. Uh, personally, you know the ERA and the success of his of his pitching staff uh, almost as much as his offensive stats. And uh, you know we uh, you know we think that we've got ourselves our everyday catcher for the for the for the future. Uh, we've got a switch hitting catcher that uh, is has has proven that he's in stretches and flashes that he could be a, a really good middle lineup major league hitter uh, and a guy who has a propensity to throw runners out uh, that are trying to steal second, pick guys off in, at, at first, improving his his, his uh, pitch framing, uh, been great at blocking pitches, and now that the last kind of uh, uh, ingredient to be an everyday impact catcher is is getting the trust of his pitching staff, calling a good game, and hitting the video room uh, with them. Them and, and putting your time in, and I think that he's taking strides in that in that regard also. Mike, last question for you, and then I'll let you get back to work or a cigar or whatever it is <laughs> that you feel like doing. Um, you're certainly not going to tell us your exact plan for this offseason. That would be silly for you to tell us who you're going to sign here uh, on the record. But what are your broad visions for this offseason as you try and take the young core that you've established now with some of these prospects that are coming up that you acquired through the draft or through trade? to try and get some pieces around them. How do you see this offseason uh, going for you in your front office? Well, I think we're, you know, our, our goal is to improve the, improve the baseball team. It's improve it in the short term and improve it in the, in the global look of, of where we're going to be. So, uh, you know, we're going to be aggressive in the, in the, in the, trade, in the trade pool, in the, in the free agent market, in the trade market. Uh, you know, we're going to look in the international market and, and any way you, we can to, uh, to improve our, our baseball team and, uh, and, you know, to kind of build on the core group of guys that we have in the big leagues now. The, the guys that will be coming in, in, in short order from the, from the minor league system and to pair them with the right complement of players from the outside, be it free agency or be it the, the trade market, to fit in with the culture here and, and, to, and to you know really aid in getting us to the next level and, uh, in, the, in the near future. And that's to be a, a world champion again and, uh, and to go on another 10, 11 year run of success. Mike, thanks for the time, buddy. Appreciate Pleasure. it. Pleasure. Always. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Well, you know this next voice that's going to come at you. You know it well. Bob Carpenter in his 17th season as the play-by-play voice on television for Nationals broadcasts on Masson. Bob's become a good buddy of mine over the years, worked with him very closely, gotten to know him pretty well, and he unfortunately has gotten to know me pretty well, which nobody really wants to do. Sat down with Bob the other day to talk about another year in the books, his 39th as a big league play-by-play guy, what this is like for him after a number of years of calling a contender. It's a different challenge calling games day in and day out for a team that isn't playing the best ball. And Bob has been there for some great moments in Nationals history and hopefully some in the future as well. So we'll talk about that with Bob. We'll talk about his his thoughts on this 
reboot process and some talent that he sees from high in the broadcast booth at Nationals Park. Let's get you now, Bob Carpenter, year number 17 as the Nats TV play-by-play voice. Well, this is the treat of all treats this year on the Nats Insider Podcast. Dan Colco with the legendary Bob Carpenter. Bob, honored to have you here with me. The treat is all mine, Dan. <laughs> Our yearly visit, and I look forward to it every year, and I am almost made it out of town without you getting me this year. Yep. I wasn't going to let that happen, believe me. I'm glad you didn't, and uh, so let's chat. Let's chat. Uh, another year pretty much in the books. This is year number 39 for you, calling big league baseball games. Um, we kind of talked at this point last year just about your career and all your accomplishments. I'm just curious, at this point, you've called so many big league seasons. This one hasn't been the best for the Nats in terms of the record, but for you personally, what's it like to just go through a year like this and get to see some highs and some lows when you've already seen so much in, in your long career? Yeah, it's a good question. I would I would preface the discussion by saying, since you and I last talked, I've accomplished nothing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm still at kind of the same spot I was a year, a year ago with uh, you. But, you know, uh, you know, I think about my first baseball job in 1984 with the Cardinals. They were two years removed from a world championship, but that year they weren't very good, and the hated Cubs won the division. You know, so with the Cardinals – couple of years with the Mets in the early 90s, the Minnesota Twins after that for one year, uh, the Texas Rangers in the late 80s. I had kind of a thing going where I was working for nobody but losing teams. And I don't know if that made me a better broadcaster. I think it made me appreciate the good times a little more because, uh, you know, even in, in the days I had in St. Louis, we had some ball clubs that did not make the playoffs. We did not contend. Even in 1998, with the whole McGuire-Sammy Sosa thing going on, the Cubs were the ones going for the playoffs, and the Cardinals weren't. And that was a tough pill to swallow. So I, I think, you know, I don't think that I've ever been a part uh, of any 100 lost seasons other than here in D.C., and now we're in kind of a different era from those ones that were, what, 15, 14 years ago before Steven came along, before Bryce came along, and, of course, Jason Wirth right after that. And then everything kind of happened from there on the positive side. So it's, it's, I, it's something that you, I think you approach it every year. You take the season for what it is. I never think that the success of my ball club reflects upon me as an announcer or vice versa. Uh, I try to do my job every day, and I... I as my career has gone on and I've gotten kind of toward the end here, uh, I, I think it's really important for me. I was thinking about this recently. Every night when we're done, I hope our fans feel good about being a Nats fan, no matter what the results of that day or that night's ballgame was. And I think that's something to keep in mind because uh, our record is not going to influence how I work. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try to do my best job, whether we're 53 and 101 or 101 and 53, and I think that's the way you have to approach it because it's that everyday thing for six months. One thing I've learned from listening to you call games and being a part of the crew for a number of years now is that regardless of the outcome, regardless of the season and the way that the team is going, it doesn't seem like uh, your mood is impacted any. And I think that that's one thing. You hear that about managers, that they're the same guy, the good ones. They Davey's say this like about that. Davey, yeah. that they're the same guy every day. And I've tried to pick that up from you in that you can call a 
13 to 1 win and have a lot of fun doing it. And you can also have some fun. Yes, the result is not what you hope, but in a 13 to 1 loss, there's positive moments in there and there can be some funny things that happen in the stands or there can be there's ways to get enjoyment out of any big league ball game that you call. And that's one thing that I've learned from you. And, and honestly, I think it's a um, it's a skill to have that type of a, an approach. And so I, I commend you for being able to do that. Well, thanks, Dan. I appreciate that. That really means a lot coming, coming from, from an established, you know, a broadcaster like yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you know, we spend a lot of time together and it's good that people look to me for that or they look at me and see that because, you know, here's a big difference between being on radio and being on TV. When you're on radio, it's usually two guys and the producer engineer, Charlie and Dave, and they have Jack sitting behind them, and they might have Slick Vic back at the studio, you know, and all those guys who help that thing back there. When you're the play-by-play guy of a TV crew, you are setting the tone for 30 people that are on that crew, or whatever the number is. And, and I have to think that if the play-by-play guy can't handle losing, and he's on the air not doing uh, positive things. That's not fun for the fans. Yeah, and pouting. Uh, you know, there, there's some pouting that goes on around baseball when, when things aren't going well. Yeah. And that's from some crews that are really used to having a great amount of success. And everything goes crazy when they're, when they're losing. So I look to, it's not that I looked at myself as the most important person on the crew. But you're the one that's setting the tone on the air for what the fans are going to hear because I think Franny's going to pick up for me my level of commitment, my level of excitement. You're going to do it too. And then I think everybody in the truck too. And, uh, you know, those people are down there working a lot harder than the three of us ever yep, do. No doubt. Because they're the ones getting here at 7 in the morning for a 1 o'clock game and they're getting here at 2 or 3 in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game or sometimes sooner if it's the first game of a series. So... I see myself as the guy who sets the tone for the whole crew and has a big influence on how positive the experience can be, and that's what I want to get across to the fans too. Bob, let's talk about what you've seen from this ball club this year. Obviously, the the trade with San Diego was probably the biggest moment for this ball club this season in, in the broad scheme of things, and in a weird way, we've seen the competitiveness level of this team increased since that trade. I think we can all, those of us that have been watching on a daily basis, and I talked about this with Mike Rizzo, this ball club has been in more games consistently since the trade deadline. I'm not saying that's at all a reflection on Juan or Josh, who we love, but what's your takeaway from the last couple months and the way that this group with some youth now, some athleticism now, has been able to, even against teams that maybe have more quote-unquote talent, been able to play with a lot of these teams? I think it's the power of incentive is a big part of this thing because there are a bunch of guys on this team right now who will have jobs next year with this ball club if they keep doing what they've been doing, and there might be some other guys who don't. And I I think we have – Davey said it in his presser today. Got a lot of young, hungry guys who come into his office, say, Skipper, we're going to be better. You know, we're going to be good. He believes it. They believe it. And, uh, you know, uh, you you hit the nail on the head. More competitive baseball since August 2nd, which makes no sense whatsoever when you really think about it with Juan gone and Josh because Josh was a team leader and Juan was the young superstar. And, uh, you know, we wish him well over the rest of his career. Uh, I I didn't want to see him leave, and I still remember where I was the morning that I heard, hey, this deal's done and, and, uh, and he's going. And, gosh, it was like a watershed moment for all of us. Then I started hearing about the six guys that were headed this way. And that gave me, you know, pause to think, okay, 
We just traded two guys, one of whom was probably not going to be here next year anyway. I don't know what they were going to do in terms of an offer for Josh. You know, and then you'd have Juan playing under that situation. Well, well, yeah, well, we offered him the money, but he didn't take it, but he's still here, which can become an uncomfortable thing, too, for a lot of, for a lot of players and fans. So when I heard about these, these kids that were on their way, the five kids plus Luke plus White, Luke. you know, who claims he grew up watching me on TV in St. Louis, that he couldn't wait to tell me that the day we met here, by That's the way. That's great. Because I had never met Luke before. I, our paths just never crossed. But I think Mike uh, pulled off a great deal there. I think it's going to have long-term residual positive effects for this ball club. I hated to see Juan go, but I think the Nats traded him at the time when his value was the highest. And I, I think San Diego may have a few regrets, not on the Juan standpoint, but the other guys uh, about that deal as time goes on. And I think we've got our shortstop for a long, long time. I think we've got a couple of really good outfielders that are on the way. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Mackenzie Gore, who should be in the rotation, knock on wood, stay healthy now for the next couple of years. And then who knows about Harleen Susana as he comes up, and who knows what kind of gas that guy is going to be bringing uh, to the fire here in the next couple of years. So, yeah, it was a big moment for our organization. It was an unusual moment. And on the heels of what happened at trading deadline in 21, I can understand the fans being upset about it, and to a certain extent I was too. I mean, I have a, ha I have a partial season ticket plan. I consider myself a fan too. You're invested just like everybody else, yeah. uh, and that's what makes this so great. Bob, you've seen a lot of teams, a lot of successful teams, whether it's teams that you cover, whether it's teams around the league. And the Nationals now, you mentioned CJ. They get Kbert Ruiz at the deadline last year. And you mentioned a couple of the young outfielders that are coming up in the next couple years. Luis Garcia over there at second base as well. You see now the potential for a very youthful middle of the field. And that's where a lot of teams, position player-wise, love to build. You, talk, you hear GMs talk about the importance of being strong up the middle. How have you seen that in teams in your years around the league? What's the importance of that in your eyes? Well, the first time I really realized it, I wasn't yet a big league broadcaster. I was still, I think, uh, two or three years away. But when Whitey Herzog traded Gary Templeton to the San Diego Padres to get some kid who couldn't hit very much early in his career named Ozzie Smith, mm. I'm thinking, we just traded a switch-hitting, power-hitting shortstop who's going to hit 20 home runs a year and drive in 80 runs for this guy, you know, who's really a good shortstop from what I hear. Well, that changed the whole thing because Ozzie became a gold glove shortstop. He became a Hall of Famer, taught himself how to hit. He was a 275 career hitter by the time he was done. And he, you know, and the Cardinals were in three World Series in the 80s. Uh, you know, he was retired by the next time they made it. But uh, that up the middle thing cannot be denied. And Whitey, I learned a lot of baseball. I, you know, I hope people don't get tired of hearing me quote him from time to time. But I was a young, impressionable broadcaster. And uh, he, uh, he actually was my first manager of the first team I did in uh, the big leagues, which was the 84 Cardinals. And he, he always used to say, I can wait for offense. I cannot wait for defense. And Davey and I have talked about this in his office at length, about how defense has to be there every day. And when you start with that as your foundation, that's big. So, you know, uh, you got Victor Robles in center. If Victor can hit 250 next year, I'm expecting the batting averages to go up next year banning the shift and all that. I, I hope it does. And if it doesn't, that means some hitters are really stubborn and they're not changing a thing that they're doing. Right. But if Victor could hit 245, 250 and play the great center field and throw to the right base, all those things, he's, he's going to be good. And then, of course, CJ and Luis, who seems to be making 
a pretty good transition to second base. And then Kay Barrett behind the plate. Those are all kids with tremendous upside. And that up the middle thing could be a foundation for this ball club for a long, long time to come. Bob, I'll let you get out of here on this one. You've, you know, covered a lot of teams, as you discussed. You've, uh, you're not necessarily a D.C. native. You don't live here year-round. But I know how much this city and this area has come to mean to you and this Nationals organization. I, I'll just give you an opportunity to speak to that and, and the way that this community in your, what, now 16 years here? Uh, 17th season. 17 years now has... Um, impacted you and your family in this time? I've made lifelong friends up here that I never would have known had uh, I stayed a Midwest boy. And, uh, you know, people, uh, the reason I'm here, one of the main reasons is I was doing the over-the-air games in St. Louis on one of the local commercial stations. And back in 05 and 06, the games were making the transition totally to cable. Well, they already had their own, their own broadcast team. And I actually left St. Louis while I still had a year left on my contract there to come here because I wanted a full-time baseball opportunity so the nationals gave me a chance and you know the masson guys actually hired me back then uh it was bob whitelaw and jeff hallis who i just talked to today for the first time in a long time i had a long talk with jeff those were the guys who uh, made the decision to hire me they sent me down to rfk from baltimore to speak with tony Tavares, who was the nationals team yeah. president and kevin ulich who was his right hand man i tell you man it was a it was a day-long interview process that was grueling. Those guys wore me out, but I knew that I wanted this job really badly, and, and they uh, fortunately were convinced by me. But over these last 16 and a half calendar years, these 17 seasons, I've met some of the greatest people I've ever met. Uh, you know, fans, uh, people in the front office, uh, you know, uh, uh, broadcasters, you know, be able to get to know you and Franny and all the other guys we've had here, Chip, our producer, uh, Dougie, our first director, and now Chuck, the most awesome guys you'd ever want to work with directing a game. And so it, it's been an experience. Uh, interviewed a sitting president when President Obama came in on opening day. I think it was in 09 and uh, spent a, a full inning with Rob Dibble and me. And uh, Dibble's a whole nother story for another interview. <laughs> <laughs> but I had fun with Rob. You know, uh, my first opening day here, Dick Cheney threw out the first pitch and mm -hmm. I happened to emcee the thing. So it's, it's been a really interesting ride. I never pictured myself as an East Coast guy. I have to admit, when the season's over and the grind's over, I look forward to going back home to Oklahoma because back there, I'm Debbie's husband, I'm Katie's dad, I'm Allison's dad, and nobody cares whether I'm on the air or not. And that's kind of refreshing for me because I don't seek that limelight all the time. And uh, I just want to say thanks to Nats fans because I think it took them a year or two to get used to me. And uh, by the way, guys, it took me a year or two to get used to you, too. Uh, but since then, in my opinion, it's been a wonderful relationship. And uh, I'm, I'm encouraged every day by the feedback I get from our fans in person, on Twitter, whatever. And uh, with all the things I've done in my 47 years now of broadcasting, uh, this job has without a doubt been the highlight of my career. Well, for me personally, Bob, I truly have enjoyed getting to know you over the years, especially the last few as, as our relationship has gotten closer. And I love you, buddy, and um, can't say enough good things about you. And I appreciate you sitting down with me yet again. Well, ha thanks for having me on, Dan. And for those who are listening, saying, is Bob saying goodbye? Well, no, I, I have a contract. <laughs> I have a contract for next year. We're still signed through 2023. But next year will be my 40th year in the big leagues, and I'll be 70 years old. So I'm sure Debbie Carpenter and Bob will be having some discussions about that, and uh, we'll, see, we'll see where we go from there. But uh, a year from now, I'll still be sitting in the chair uh, with you and Franny and 
all of us hanging out together. And we love it. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. That'll do it for the Nats Insider Podcast. And that'll do it for the 2022 season. It's been a lot of fun bringing you guys these shows pretty much every week throughout the season. Hope you've enjoyed them. My thanks this week to Mike Rizzo, to Bob Carpenter for joining me. My thanks to our entire Curly W Productions crew for helping facilitate these interviews and the production of it. You guys are fantastic. And thanks to everybody for listening all season long. Looking forward to bringing you some off-season content, and obviously we'll be back with a lot of good stuff from spring training in West Palm Beach to start off 2023. Already looking forward to getting this going again next year. Have a great one, everybody. We'll talk to you this off-season, and we'll see you down in West Palm Beach and back at Nationals Park for opening day next year. Go big or go home. 